Good? Yeah, cool. Well, it's good to be here. Good to uh, get to continue on this series as we're diving into the book of 1 Thessalonians and really looking at, okay, what does it look like in a, in a really practical way for us to be shaped by this good news of Jesus? How does that mold us? How does that shape us into who God's calling us to be? And the, the section that we're going to look at this morning in uh, 1 Thessalonians really is about relationships. And it's about how Paul, uh, the guy writing this letter, really sees his role of being part of shaping this, this community, these believers there, and them shaping him. And uh, it's emotional, and it shows relationship that is deep and profound. And as I was kind of thinking about that this week, I was just struck by um, how, in reality, I like a little bit of a superficial relationship sometimes. You know, that it's kind of nice to keep things kind of on the surface level. Like, you know, I want to have a couple of deep relationships, but for the most part, if we can just kind of have fun together, say hi, that's a lot easier than really getting deep in each other's lives. And I saw this video that made me giggle a little bit. So uh, let's watch the video and get us kind of thinking about relationships. Are you tired of small groups always getting into your business? Trying to get you to share your feelings, discuss your past, confess your sins? Are you just looking for a place to kick it? Network? Maybe get some free grub? Me too. That's why I created what I believe to be the world's first openly shallow small group. We're not here to deal with messy stuff like feelings and emotions. You got problems? You deal with them. You're an adult. Life ain't easy. So stop the pity party. We all have our issues. We don't really want to do life together. Frankly, at Shallow Small Group, we try not to do much of anything at all. You'll never hear us use the term, unpack that thought. We're sure it's packed away for a really good reason. And you'll never hear us use the term accountability unless you're talking about someone who deals with numbers. Hey, dude, thanks for doing my taxes. You have great accountability. And spiritual growth. Who wants growth? I had a growth removed last week. There's no pressure here to remember each other's name. What's going on, buddy? Oh, hey, man. How's it going? Yeah, it's going good. Oh, dude. Captain, what's going on? We know you have a name, and that's the important thing. Group discussion? You got tickets to the big game? Sweet. Let's spend some time on that. Oh, you and your wife are struggling financially? There's tension in the relationship? Uh, that's not really the vibe we're going for. We avoid conflict like the plague. Who wants cake? <laughs> Come on and get it! <laughs> and there will never, ever be an awkward silence. That's our guarantee to you. We hate bad theology as much as the next guy. And we know the surest way to prevent bad theology is to avoid theology altogether. And outreach? This is the only outreach you'll ever have to do. Some people say we're superficial. But hey, the word supers and superficial. I mean, who doesn't want to be super? Shallow small group. Because when things get too deep, people drown. Won't you join us? All right. It's goofy, but it sounds kind of nice, doesn't it? I mean, just kind of a place you can hang out. Nobody pries into your life. Uh, and that's kind of sometimes how we do church. 
You know, we come here and, and we all come to church because we want to have some sort of kind of spiritual experience. We want to hear from God. We want to be moved uh, in some way. And we come here kind of by ourselves. We say hi. We shake a couple of hands on the way in. And hopefully we have that experience. Then we sort of go out on our own. And the picture I see here is something really much more profound than that. In fact, I was, I was looking at this. And I was just shocked because if you look at just the book of Acts, which the book of Acts sort of tells the narrative of Paul's journey. And about the time that Paul goes to the church of, or to the city of Thessalonica in the book of Acts, there's like three different cities. Actually, it ends up being like five different cities over the course of two or three chapters that he goes to. And in each city, it's sort of the same situation. He goes into a city, he starts preaching about Jesus, a group gathers. They want to hear more. A church has started. An angry mob forms. They beat him up and they kick him out of the city. And he goes on to the next city. He preaches the gospel. A church forms. He gets beat up, moves to the next city. And this just happens. Like the way it's recorded, the way Luke records it, the book of Acts, you could think that Paul just doesn't care about anything, that all he cares about is this mission he's on. And it, as long as he accomplishes the mission, nothing else matters. And those relationships are just there to build and plant churches. And once that church is planted, He's on to the next place. And then when you read this section that we're about to look at in the book of Thessalonians, it shows you such a different picture of Acts, or just a different picture of Paul, that even though Paul is driven by this mission, the mission is not disconnected from the people, that he deeply cares about these people, and that that even though he might have only been with them a short period of time, they're on his mind, they're in his heart, and so... uh, he, he wants to connect with them again. So if you want to open your Bibles, um, it's going to be 1 Thessalonians. Uh, and it's, we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 17. And we'll keep going to uh, about 3, 5. So, all right. So starting in verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, or brothers and sisters, for a short time, not in person, but in heart. I'm sorry, in person, not in heart. We endeavor the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in the faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourself know that we are destined for this. And when we come with you, uh, I'm sorry, for when uh, we were with you, we kept telling you, beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know for this reason when I could bear it no longer I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain does this sound like somebody who only cared about planting churches and moving on to the next city I don't think so this to me shows how important relationships are to what God is doing and shaping in our lives. See, we are shaped 
by the gospel, the story of Jesus, that, that no matter how broken we are, no matter how sinful we are, and all of us are, that none of us are capable of achieving um, salvation on our own. None of us are able to muster up enough goodness within ourselves to, to please God. That God, in his greatness, provided a way for us to have eternal life by sending himself down to die as a substitute for us. And now, as followers of Jesus, we have this message, this story that we get to tell. And so we are shaped by the gospel, but in that process of being shaped by the gospel, we are actually shaped by the relationship we have with each other as we tell this story, as we remind each other of this story, as we listen to this story and we hear it and we take it in and we encourage each other and we build each other up. And that is what we see Paul doing here, that Paul sees that he has a role to play in the shaping of this community, the shaping of this church. And likewise, you and I, we have a role to play in how God is working in the lives of each and every person that calls this their home. And so it makes me kind of ask that question, how well am I doing at this, right? How well am I building into the lives of other people? I mean, Paul's not even seeing them anymore. He's not like their pictures aren't coming up on his Facebook feed. He's not with them all the time. He's two cities removed by now, and he's in a very challenging, difficult place. And yet he's going, man, I want you guys to know how eager I am to see you. I can't wait to see you face to face. But since I can't come see you face to face, I want you to know I'm going to send my buddy Timothy. He's a good guy. He's a coworker of God. He's going to come be with you to encourage you, to build you up. It's a really a beautiful picture, isn't it? It's the kind of relationship I think we want the benefits of, but we're not always willing to put in the effort to accomplish it, huh? We want somebody to care about us and to love us in that way, but we're not necessarily willing to sacrifice and to pour ourselves into each other in that way. And there's also something interesting I see here in this passage. It's in verse 18, right? Go ahead and look at verse 18, 218. It says, but because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. All right, that's an interesting thing. It's kind of modern-day Christians. We, we don't love talking about Satan. We don't love thinking about personified evil. But Paul here is saying, hey, I want you to know that I wanted to see you, but Satan kept me from doing that. He doesn't explain what that was. Probably it had something to do with angry mobs of people trying to kill him. Right? Some people kind of also think maybe it had to do with a sickness that he had or, or something. But, but what I think is most important about this is for us to realize that, that because relationships are core to the way God is shaping us and to understanding who he is, then the likewise is also true that Satan wants to destroy those relationships. Satan wants to keep us from being connected to each other, for building each other up, for shaping each other in our knowledge and understanding of, of the good news of Jesus. Now, in this particular passage um, I, I think we see kind of a general idea of Satan. Now, there's, there's tons of passages in Scripture that talk about Satan as like a personal force of evil. But I don't think that's exactly what Paul is getting at. Paul isn't saying here that, okay, uh, Satan is sort of raining on my picnic or he's causing, you know, things to happen. I think what he's saying is, 
I understand that there is a greater force at work. There's a spiritual battle at work here that is keeping us from being connected to each other. So yes, maybe it is an angry mob, but it's not just evil people making evil actions. I understand that there's something more profound here. And at the same time, there are people, I believe, in the church here that are confused by what's going on. They're probably seeing that Paul has left them, and and they've got this new church. They just got established. They've only been meeting together for a couple of months, maybe a year or so, and things are getting really hard. And there's probably people in the church that go, you know what, where's Paul at anyway? Did Paul really care about us? Were we just some number to Paul? Did he just need to say that he had a church here in Macedonia? So now that he's got a church planted here in our town of Thessalonia, he's on to the next place. Is that all that's going on here? And Paul's saying, no, no, no. Don't let Satan drive us apart. Don't let those lies in. You guys ever had those misunderstandings that tear apart relationships? Maybe, maybe somebody comes in on Sunday morning and they kind of brush you off and you're like, hey, I thought we were friends. And you kind of make up this whole idea of maybe that they don't like you anymore or something, when the reality of it was their kids were just fighting the whole way in. They can't wait to dump them off in the children's ministry so they can have some peace and quiet. I had this weird situation this week, um, or it was a couple weeks ago, actually, that I had this meeting with somebody. At least I thought I had a meeting with this individual. And I'm ready for this meeting, and the individual doesn't show up. And in my head, I start really kind of playing this up. I've got some history with this person, and I'm like, ah, this person just doesn't value our relationship. They're just, they just want something out of me. They don't really care about me. They're just, this whole thing, they probably stood me up on purpose just to kind of show that they're better than me or whatever. Well, it turned out that I had gotten um, contacts in my phone swapped around, and I had actually been texting back and forth with somebody completely different to set up this meeting. So the person that stood me up and obviously doesn't like me anymore and was taking advantage of me had no idea we were meeting. And yet I, I did that. So now, was Satan, did he hack into my phone to swap around my contacts? No, I think that was just my dopey fingers pushing the wrong buttons. But did Satan use that to drive disunity and dissension between us? Absolutely. And I think that is the the reality, the perspective we need to have as a church, that that God wants to use our relationships to build each other up, to point each other to him. And at the same time, Satan is actively working to tear us apart, to drive us to not trust each other, to put up barriers, to keep our relationships shallow and superficial. And, And what I see here is, no, that's not the model we're called to. That's not the picture and so I want us to, to think a little bit now about what um, kind of a, a little bit of a self-test. Okay, if we believe that God deeply desires us to be in meaningful, profound relationships with each other, and Satan desires to pull those apart, how well are we doing in this? So do me a favor. Don't, don't make this obvious. We don't want to make anybody feel awkward. But pick somebody that you kind of know somewhat. You see here at church. Don't, don't pick your spouse because that's cheating. Um, but just pick somebody, kind of look at them, but don't look at them. Don't wave at them. That's awkward. Now they're going to know. Just kidding. Okay. How well do we know that person? Like, start thinking about it. Like, do you know how their work week was this week? Do you know if they cried this week? 
Do you know if they're fighting with their spouse? Are they reading their Bible? Do they have any sort of relationship with Jesus outside of Sunday? What's keeping them up at night? What's making them struggle? Now, I don't say that to, to make us feel guilty because we all struggle in this area. In fact, there's a lot of people in this room. You can't possibly have deep, profound relationships with everybody in here. But is the culture of our church a place where we have meaningful, profound relationships in our life, where we know each other, we're building each other up, we're encouraging each other? Now, I want to look specifically at what Paul was doing in the lives of these Christians here, because it wasn't just a general relationship. General relationship. It wasn't just kind of a just deep for the sake of being deep. He had some goals, some things that he was trying to to accomplish in this letter and the conversation that he was having. And so, what I'd like us to ask the question is: How do we develop relationships that really shape us for this adventure, this adventure of following Jesus? If we are all together, and I think most of us are here because at one level or not, we want to pursue Jesus with our lives, right? That's, that's why you would get up on a Sunday morning and come in here. You're trying to figure that out. So how do we develop relationships that encourage that, us on that and that we are encouraging other people? And, and the first kind of point I see here in this passage is that Paul seems to have woven faith into all these different aspects of their relationship. For Paul, the the faith of these believers was crucially important to him. I'm sure he also cared about their health. He cared about their families. He cared about their well-being. He cared about their businesses. He cared about all those things. But what you see, if he's only got a couple of words that he can write down on the pages of this papyrus, he's going, man, I'm hoping your guys' faith is strong. I'm hoping that as you guys are facing this suffering, this persecution, I hope you remember that that affliction is coming, but that's okay because we have faith in Christ and that is greater than your affliction. That's what discipleship is. We use that word around here a lot and it's kind of a, a fancy word to make disciples. It's this idea that goes back to Jesus where Jesus is the rabbi and he's got his disciples, kind of the 12 plus that, that followed him around. And, and for three and a half years, he poured his life into these individuals and they in turn devoted themselves to him to learn, to grow, to understand him. It was a process of making disciples, people that would follow him. And so when we, as a church said, we're about making disciples, what we're saying is we're about being a community that is focused on being like Jesus, on following him, on understanding him, and devoting our lives to him. Now, I think about the disciples. Now, I would be willing to bet that they, um, that they weren't always talking Jesus talk, Right? There was probably times that they were walking through the desert and they were probably just talking about rock formations out in the desert, you know? Oh, wow, check that out. That's a big rock. That's pretty cool looking. Or, wow, look at that eagle. That's a beautiful eagle. Or maybe they're out fishing. They're just telling stories about when they were growing up. But I would be willing to bet since the focus of their relationship was Jesus and their faith in this person who they believed to be the Messiah, I bet that wove throughout their conversations, you know, they're out fishing and they're talking about stories. They go, yeah, but man, isn't it weird that we're following this Jesus guy and that would just come up? Or they were talking about something else and it would just kind of pivot back around. Does, does our relationships look like that? 
through our relationships, do we, we seem to weave our faith and, and learning about each other. Is discipleship an active part of what we're doing, or are they just friendships? Friendships are good. We all have different relationships. We've got people we work with, and we talk about work-related stuff. We have people that we talk about recreational-related stuff. But especially for us as Christians here at Bridges, people who call this home for us, do we have people in our life that are asking us about our faith, that are asking us how we're doing in our walk with the Lord? Who are we asking those questions of? Do they go both ways? Do we care enough about somebody to say, hey, how's your... How's your walk with Jesus? What does that look like for you? What, is that something that actively happens? Is that, you know, how's your faith? And, and I think that it is a model we see here that's, that's really beautiful. It's really um, challenging for all of us. And there's something specific in this passage that Paul is encouraging. He, he's encouraging specifically. He goes, hey, I want you to realize that as you are in the midst of suffering to stay strong, to hold on to the faith that you have. We've told you this was coming. This is a part of life, so stay strong. And I think part of the relationship that we need to have with each other is we need to be people that encourage perseverance in each other. That we don't necessarily need to encourage suffering because that's a, a frustrating, you know, we don't, hey, man, I hope you suffer well this week, you know. But we can be people that say, hey, I hope in the midst of suffering that you persevere that you don't hide from it, that you don't seek just to be comfortable, you don't just look for the easy way out, but in the midst of that, that you keep going on. We knew this was coming, right? This is the picture we have. And for the early church, like these early disciples, they, they knew about suffering. They had just spent three and a half years with Jesus and they watched him suffer greatly for the gospel, And then they start telling this story about Jesus. And every time they tell the story about Jesus, two things happen. One thing, a bunch of people hear it and go, that is the most life-changing thing. I need that for my life. There's one group of people. And then there's another group of people that say, that's the worst thing I ever heard. I want to kill you now. And they were getting beat up and killed. And so as they're they're talking about, as they're planting new churches, I'm sure one of the first things Paul talked about is, hey, I want you to know this is going to be hard. The gospel does not promise to to rescue you from suffering. In fact, it leaves you right in the middle of suffering, but it gives you purpose for that suffering. It gives you reason for that suffering. It gives you hope in the midst of that suffering. So when you experience suffering, know that that's okay. That doesn't mean you're on the wrong track. In fact, that might mean you are exactly where you are supposed to be. The Christian life is hard, isn't it? That's why we, we were coming up with some values as a church. And we said, okay, one of the values for us is we really want to encourage intentional risks here as a church. Now, we don't say that just because we want to be risky people. But we understand that following Jesus requires us taking challenges, things that are hard. And it should be. There's parts of our own even spiritual transformation is when God is pointing out sin in our life that is hard. It's convicting. We don't want to change. It is easier to just stay put. It is easier not to love deeply with the love of Christ. It is easier not to forgive. It is easier to be selfish than it is to give. We don't want to share the good news of Jesus because it might offend somebody. And and when we do offend somebody, then we want to pull back and take safer, more comfortable approaches. A couple weeks ago, the grade schoolers all went away for the camp. And um, some friends of ours watched our youngest daughter. So Becca and I were kidless for the weekend. And uh, so we decided to do what we love to do, and that's go snowboarding. 
And uh, so we get up early. We leave at like four o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning. And it's just a blizzard. You know, it was one of those weeks that we were having snow on top of Mission Peak. So we're hitting snow as soon as we get up into the foothills. And it takes us forever to get up to the ski resort. And we get up to the ski resort and it was a blizzard. In fact, if you had any skin exposed, it hurt. Like it was just the wind and the snow and ice would just like, you know, give you an instant rash. And if any of you have skied, you, you'll get what I'm talking about. On one of the lifts, it was so blizzardy that the chair right in front of us, we could not see the chair in front of us. Like 30 feet in front of us was just a sheet of white. And Beck and I were loving it. That is... It was awesome. The snow was deep and we felt like superheroes. We could try anything because there was no way we were getting hurt. And like everybody who was out in those conditions was having a blast. You could hear, you couldn't see anybody, but you could hear people around you going, woohoo, this is awesome. At about lunchtime, we're like, okay, maybe we should go get some food. And we knew this one place that usually isn't that crowded. And so we go down, it's kind of like this little bar area. And and you can imagine we open the door and like this gust of snowy wind goes blowing inside of this, this dark kind of warm room. And everybody instantly is like, Ooh, shut the door, shut the door, keep the cold out. And we go in there and it's warm and super comfortable. And people had obviously been in there a long time. And Beck and I looked at each other and we're like, we can't stay in here. Because if I take all my snow gear off, if I sit next to that fire, I'm, gonna get, I'm not going back out. And I didn't come up here to do that. So we walked down to like this little thing and we bought like a, a you know, like sandwich out of the, the deli thing and went back out onto the mountain. And at that moment, I needed my wife to confirm with me, no, we did not drive all the way up here in the middle of this blizzard to sit inside of this restaurant drinking $15 beers, we drove up here to go into the suffering and to experience winter. So let's get back outside. And we had a whole lot more fun than if we would have stayed in that restaurant, right? And I think sometimes we need people like that in our life to say, hey, you didn't give your life to Jesus to be comfortable. You didn't give your life to Jesus so that everything would be simple and easy. You didn't commit to following him with your full life because you just wanted to take the easy path. You knew it was going to come with suffering. You knew it was going to be hard, but that's where the joy is. That's where the excitement is. Come on, this is the adventure we signed up for. Let's go. And that is part of the joy that we get to have in each other's lives. When we hear people struggling, we go, oh man, I'm sorry you're going through that, but but." it's awesome to see the faith that God is brewing in your life. Or when somebody confesses some sin that they're struggling with in our, our small groups or whatever, and you come to them and go, hey, how's it going with that? Last week you said you were gonna try to overcome that. How are you doing in that? Keep it up, good job. And I love that there's something really encouraging here as Paul, um, he talks about this. He goes, hey, in verse like 19 and 20, he goes on this kind of weird rampage a little bit. He goes, hey, I want you to know that you are my joy. You are my hope. You are the wreath of my glory. Okay, now that's a weird term, right? I don't think I've ever written anything even remotely close to that to anybody. In fact, if you get an email with these words in it to your email account, no, it's not for me, okay? <laughs> like somebody hacked my account. Uh, 
So what's Paul trying to say here? Is Paul trying to say that, um, that, that they in and of themselves have some sort of joy quality that they bring to him, hope that they bring to him? I think what he's saying is that he finds great hope and great joy in what God is doing in their life. And that gives his ministry, his commitment, it's what gives him purpose. It's what reminds him of why he does what he does. And I think for you and I, as, as we are in relationship with each other, there's something deeply hopeful. There's something deeply joy-giving when we see God working in each other's lives. And we need that for each other. We need to see that and to be encouraged by that. And sometimes I think we can get too pessimistic as a church that we miss what's going on in each other's lives. We can just get so negative. We go, oh, we're all struggling. It's so hard. I don't know if God's doing anything. Instead of sitting back and go, you know what? That's a miracle. Somebody said that they were struggling with really feeling just angry a lot at their work. And, and God has given them some peace in that. That's awesome. That could only be God. That's why he says that this is my glory. It's not that people have glory. We see throughout scripture that glory is the, the attribute of God. That is what God is worthy and God is doing. So I think what, what he's saying here is by seeing what God is doing in your life, I'm receiving the glory of that. I'm receiving the joy of what is happening. This last week, I, or a couple of weeks ago, I bought these kites, or I got given these kites, these cheap little kites. Actually, it was when we were in India. And they only fly if there's a lot of wind, right? If there's just a tiny bit of wind, these kites aren't getting off the ground. But my daughter saw them, and they're like, Dad, can we go fly the kite? I go, let's see if there's any wind. And I go to the like, front window in our house, and I look across the street. There's this big tree, and I look up at the upper branches, and I see that it's not moving at all, right? There's just, I mean, there's, and I'm like, honey, I'm sorry. I don't think there's any wind today. We can't fly the kite. And my daughter goes, how do you know there's no wind? You haven't even been outside, I'm like, well, I can tell there's no wind because look at that tree. You can see that it's not affecting that tree at all. And I think that's kind of a good illustration for how we see God work, that sometimes it's really hard to just see God work in general in the world, right? You can see all the pain and the evil and the suffering in our world. You can go, where is God in the midst of all this? Is there really a God? If he is, is he working? Is Is it real? But we can see the way God moves in the lives of each other. When God is challenging us, when he's, when he's bringing us to relationship with him, when people are giving their life to Christ, when people are making commitments to trust him, when people are being obedient to follow him, that's the work of God blowing in people's lives. And when we see that, it should give us great hope. It should give us great joy. We should be able to say what Paul is saying, that when I look at you, I feel like somebody just gave me a crown at the end of a race. Like, I just won the trophy. That's kind of the imagery that he's using here because I'm so excited about what God is doing in your life. And then kind of the last piece of this model that I see that Paul is exhibiting for us is just how emotional and real this relationship is. Like, look at some of the language that he uses here. It's, it's pretty sappy stuff in a way. He's saying... Since I was torn away from you for a short time, in person but not in heart, we endeavor more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face. He talks about, man, I wanted to see you, but I, I just got torn away. And, but I want you to know that you are my hope, my joy. You are the crown of glory in my life. That I'm sending my, my buddy Timothy to you because 
I, I love him and he's a co-worker in the, in, with God in the gospel. That, so I want him to go and encourage you. It's deep, it's sacrificial, it's, it's this real meaningful relationship. And I think for me, one of the challenges of truly deep relationships is it requires me getting real with people. It requires me tapping into that kind of emotional component of who I am, trusting people, being willing to sacrifice for people. Um, you know, here Paul is going, hey, I just want you to know I'm sending my, my brother Timothy to you. I'm willing to be left here alone in this city, this city that is pretty hard for me to do ministry in. That's pretty hostile to my message, to my ministry. But I'm going to be alone here because I want you guys to experience my friend, Timothy. I want to sacrifice for you. Deep relationships, they cause that kind of sacrifice in our life that are hard. Sometimes it means when somebody's going through a terrible time in their marriage or with their children, standing with them, sitting with them, hearing their stories. This summer, um, we had an opportunity to go on vacation with some of the um, kids at the orphanage who had grown up and are now the orphanage we work with down in Mexico. So I've watched these kids grow up and they're now young men. And uh, one of the young guys I was with, we were together and at the time his uncle had died and he was just broke down, he was weeping. He was just, it was a close relative of him. And I, I remember it happened to be back in my 15th anniversary. And we had planned this trip and we we're gonna all go out to the beach. And we're gonna have fun and, and celebrate. And instead, I sat on the couch holding a grown man who was weeping. And I don't, didn't grow up in a family where men weep. Like that's just something that's super foreign to me. And I remember thinking, like, how crazy is this that this young guy who we barely even speak the same, the same um, language, we come from such different places, and yet God has brought us together, and I have an opportunity to sit with this guy and to hear his pain and to care about him. And I, I just, that's beautiful. It's hard. I don't want to do that every weekend, you know? But we need each other to be that in our lives. We need people to ask about our faith, to challenge us, to encourage us, to find joy in what God is doing in our lives. And we need to be doing that for other people. And I think for us, especially who call Bridges home, to ask that question, okay, who are we making disciples with? That idea of who are we walking through life in a deep and meaningful way? And who's making disciples of us? We are shaped by the good news of Jesus. It's a, it's a story that, that we get to tell. It's a story of salvation. It's a story of hope. It's a story of God coming down from heaven to earth. And how awesome is it that we get to tell that in community? We're gonna spend the next part of the service um, doing communion and continuing to worship. And so I just wanna encourage you, kind of we should have plenty of, time to just reflect and to think about some of these questions that maybe this passage brought up and, and maybe make this our prayer. God, teach me to love more deeply and more profoundly in my relationships. Let me pray for us. God, you're a good God. You're a loving God. You are our model of, of relationship, your model of friendship, of parenting, of brother and sister relationship. You're um, our savior. God, I praise you that you have um, 
shown us here in Thessalonians what it looks like to, to love each other. You've given us a picture, a model. I pray that we are a church that um, really cares for each other. As we do life together, it's not just about programs we do. It's not just about ministries that we offer, but it is about truly loving and caring for each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.